but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> we never got our flying cars. No, we didn't. We never got our flying cars, and but there are people who are determined that we're eventually still going to get them. I... I so there's a contest, Jeb? What's the, the contest to make to get flying cars? The, the Orville... Fl- Wait, what, 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 hang on a second. Hang on, I've don't lost, read the whole thing. I put a whole I've bunch lost, of other notes in there. You just, I've lost the flick. Oh, there, that's what I was looking for. Okay. Just look at the top yes. level. Yeah, and, uh, um, um, Washington Post article today, or yesterday, I guess, um, talking about basically personal... Uh, aviation at a at a very basic level uh, involving um, basically the the kind of jetpacks or or the, uh, the the flying car the flying personal transportation that both science fiction and and a lot of uh, um, uh, real f- commercial fiction uh, uh, gave us decades ago. Um, this article kind of goes into some details on. How technological advances have maybe made some of this uh, closer to reality, if reality is really a word that can be applied. <laughs> yeah, I know. I yeah. Well, first of all, a couple of things here. There aren't so much. I wouldn't characterize these first two examples, at least the picture examples, of as being flying cars. These are more no. Iron Man flying suits kind of things, right? Closer, closer to that. Yeah, it is, it, you don't have. Um, uh, well, I, you know, I, I'm really holding out for. The kind of car that you can push a button and it folds up into a briefcase. <laughs> That's perfect. That's what we all need. That's I'm right. holding out for that. Uh, I, everything uh, else is just you know background noise. Right. I, yeah. Okay. I don't even know where to go with the story. Let, I'm gonna, let me have a contrarian here. I'm going to be a big time. Right, contrarian. Well, well, one of the things that was interesting is is uh, they spent a great deal of time in this article describing um, Part 103 ultralights. Yeah. As if that was a solution. Well, no, but some people think that, you know, well, you know, I'm going to have to have a pilot's license to use one of these things. Well, uh, under existing rules, maybe. Yeah, but that's <laughs> and, not and here's right. And here's, here's a way around that, but a 254-pound flying car isn't going to be much of a flying car. Right. To David, you're awful quiet. Well, I was just looking at some of these... Uh, pieces of artwork here and, and the, the first candidate on the, on the list and look at it and it, it's not even light sport compatible i mean right it, and, and that's it, right it, that, that's a private pilot's license machine period which one the the surefly thing yeah no well see oh, yeah. I, so i put these on jeb jeb put the initial thing and then i added a couple of little things here for discussion purposes all right i added that um yeah. I, I cut that that's a by the way is a pure pro, pure uh mock-up it's not even a prototype it's i don't believe it flies um this, this is this is vaporware yeah we saw the mock-up um full-scale mock-up at at oshkosh and and it's an interesting yeah I, that, I i saw it and and i'm looking at the specifications for the final vehicle that they're publishing and the curb weight, 1,100 pounds, although in aviation we would call that empty weight. Uh, maximum takeoff weight, 1,500 pounds. Uh, so you lose out on both ends on that in terms of it being light sport compatible. Yeah. Well, you, you've you lose both ends, but not only that, you've only got 400 pounds of payload. That's the other thing. It, you know, it it's, it's, says it's good for 70 miles. Oh, 70, I'm sorry, 70 mile an hour top speed. Yeah. Uh-huh. My mistake. 
one hour of flight time per tank of gasoline. And there's so another problem. Out of 70 it, it, mile still, range. it still uses uh, gasoline, really? Yeah, well, that's yeah. A, the, the, the Surefly prototype uses gasoline to generate electricity to turn the rotors. So it's an octocopter. It's a fairly oversized, a big, big octocopter um, in its in its mock-up form. Um, and and their 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 prototype idea is to punt on the whole problem of batteries. All right, they realize that that's a problem. All right, and it's not yeah. been solved yet. And they figure it will get better as time goes on. In the meantime, let's generate electricity with, I believe, a piston engine that's in the back of the thing um, in order to get the thing flying. And then we'll figure out how to get the electricity later on is, I think, their, their, their point of view, which I think well, is a they, reasonable they, way they, to approach it. Well, and, and efficiency-wise, it's actually pretty smart because electric motors are a lot more energy efficient than gasoline engines. Right. And it takes a lot less uh, power from a gasoline engine to generate enough electricity to power something like this. That's the whole idea behind the uh, uh, the uh, Toyota hybrid. Uh, well, all the hybrids, for that matter. Prius. You know, the uh, Prius, it's got a gasoline engine to keep the batteries charged that run the motors on all four wheels. Mm-hmm. And the motors are so much more energy efficient that they can use a tiny little engine to drive a, a big enough generator to keep up with that demand. Right. Uh, it's pretty clever. Yeah. Uh, and and it's and the other good thing about about having electric motors being turning the blades is that you're not limited to where you get the electricity from, how you get the electricity. Um, you That's know, right. I, you know, your, your traditional piston-engined aircraft requires petroleum fuel and, and probably will always require petroleum fuel. But an electric motor can get its electricity from lots of different ways. You can have a gasoline engine. You could have a diesel engine. You could have a turbine engine. You could have you know, a long extension cord. Uh, you could have, uh, David, your, your, your military history. You could have a nuclear power plant in there someplace okay you know it's like the navy's been doing it this way forever right with electric motors that are powered by whatever source is most efficient for that particular application hydrogen fuel cell would be my bingo so so see i started out wanting to be a contrarian this part of it i'm pretty pretty optimistic about (laughs) a fusion reactor a fusion fusion, reactor that's right you know a an arc reactor that that that, that you mount on the on your chest i electricity can come from lots of different ways Warp cores and dilithium crystals. Bingo! There you go. Now we're talking. Um, the uh, so that's power, and that's that's sort of general propulsion issues. All right, piloting issues. Whether or not you need a pilot's license to fly it, you're never going to need a pilot. By the time this becomes common, all right, um, yeah. you're just going to be a passenger. These are going to be self-flown, autonomous, semi-autonomous, somehow remotely, you know, self-controlled vehicles. Um, you're you're not going to fly no. these. Most I don't see the I don't see the fun in that at well, all. Well, no, I you and I are you and AD, I are ADSB will be built into it. Yeah, that's right. You and I know <laughs> the three of us will all have aircraft that we can fly, but most people right. most people will be riding in a flying car that they're just a passenger in. Um, that's my well, uh, we, we we should ask Mister Jetson what 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 kind of license he has to drive the family around in that. Flimmer that they yeah. use on the TV show. Uh, that's right. Yeah, I put a picture. I mean, there. it's big enough for it's big enough for Astro. So, 
yeah. they squeezed yeah. the whole family in there. That's the picture I put up there. I wanted to show the picture. Yeah, yeah. The, whole, the whole family. The whole family yeah. squashed into this thing. There's hardly any airplane there. I mean, it's just like you know, it's basically a, a, a you know a, a well, shell it's, it's, with a bubble on top, and uh, it's, it's an anti-grav device with uh, uh, a little squirt thing uh, for propulsion. You think um, that's how it, it works? I suppose. And it goes. <laughs> yeah, I always I always thought that there were you that know a lot of the jets. Like. Yeah, it's very it's very good. We we should like you know someone should like you know use that in the next ad that we run somewhere you know for like Oshkosh Radio exactly. EA Radio exactly. or something. And <clears throat> and Astro is sitting back there, and when he hears the engine quit, he goes row row. <laughs> Uh, right. I see. I was going to go elsewhere with this, but maybe that's about as good as it's going to get. Welcome, folks, to oh, yes. Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson, coming to you from high atop Lookout Point in uh, in really unseasonably warm Nottingham, New Hampshire. It's crazy up here. Uh, David, you're going to talk about something different in a second, I think. But um, this part of the country, as well as others, apparently uh, the the upper Midwest, Chicago-ish um, areas are also suffering from quite the heat wave, quite the unseasonably warm early fall here. And the, and the horse you rode in on. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's been, for, for the better part of a week, it's been mid to high 80s up here at Lookout Point. So it's, it's pretty warm up here. Um, I'm not complaining. I mean, in the short term, I'm not complaining. It's a very pleasant fall. Um, this is probably not good for the environment in the long run, but, uh, but, it's, but it's very you, nice. Do you really want to? you really want to talk about weather with me? Yeah, I know. So I'm being joined here in our virtual hangar by my two very, very good friends. Uh, and one of those is, uh, is, uh, wants to talk about the weather apparently, uh, from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, still, believe it or not, didn't get blown away. Jeb Burnside. How you doing, Jeb? I'm uh, maintaining, yeah, maintaining an uh, even keel. Yeah, you know. yeah. So we uh, we had an unusually long gap between episodes here because of the weather. Um, when we last spoke on the podcast, uh, uh, hurricane. There's been so many hurricanes. Irma, right? It was Irma. Irma. Irma, Irma was bearing down on uh, on Florida, and uh, and you were getting ready to. You were making plans. You were batting down the hatches and, and getting ready to uh, seek shelter elsewhere. Um, yeah. Did that work out? How, what, that's, what, that's a great way to put it. Seek shelter elsewhere. Yeah. Um, other people would characterize it as um, bugging out, or or in some some more colorful terms. Yeah. Yeah, but anyways, but, but but isn't there someone else here that you want to introduce? Yeah, okay. Well, we'll talk. Come back and talk about the hurricane in a second. But I also yeah, want to say yeah, hi yeah, to yeah. my unseasonably, apparently unseasonably chilly friend from uh, the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas. Dave Higdon. Hi, David. Lovely here, just lovely. We've gotten about four inches of rain at my place in the last uh, seventy-two hours, and it didn't hit sixty yesterday. So, which hurricane is that from? Uh, that would that would be actually the relief from the hurricane yeah. because when the hurricanes were stirring around down there, we had unseasonably warm for days because nothing in the way of a cold front could push through and and on down against the storms in the Gulf of Mexico and over in Florida. So we're finally getting closer to seasonably appropriate weather here. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Okay. I mean, what's so? This is normal that this time of year is like like what you just described. Well, you get this much rain this time of year. Uh, 
that's funny. We haven't had any measurable rain since June. Really? And this moved in three days ago and uh, has been on and off and on and off. It's sprinkled and stopped uh, three times this morning. Uh, been putting on rain gear to walk the dog. Uh, the first 12 hours, we got two and a half inches of, uh, of rain. So, and we've gotten a fair amount more since. Mm-hmm. It's uh, playing hell with the uh, work that needs to be done getting wet leaves off the grass. <laughs> but it'll dry out eventually. Yeah. Those, in, my, in my recollection, those can be slippery. Yeah. Yes. So since we last did a podcast, um, Florida uh, uh, yeah, bore, yeah, bore yeah. the brunt of Hurricane Irma, um, and uh, I, I'm uh, and, at least the mainland brunt. Yeah, some, well, some Caribbean islands got hit pretty hard. Yeah, yeah, the Caribbean was pretty ugly, and and it has and been Cuba, and, and Cuba. Well, yes, and Cuba, um, and and I, you know. I don't exactly know, even know how to talk about it. Um, a, a lot well, of people were hurt very, very badly um, yeah. and uh, and suffered a lot of damage. Um, I, I am pleased to report that all of our UCAP friends uh, in the Florida area um, have reported in with no no major damage, uh, and uh, and that's a good thing. Um, but yeah. uh, um, it, it's it's a whole interesting thing, Jeb. You, I, I, I don't I don't want to pry too much, Jeb. But you know, you, I, you you did okay, right? Yeah, I I came out just fine, all things considered. Um, um, I mean, the biggest hit, if you will, was uh, just two weeks out of my life to deal with it. Right, because you left um, town and you were gone. I left town. I, I followed through on my plan. Um, I think we, we might have talked uh, about my intention to head for Memphis. Yep. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why, but um, before I left, the uh, uh, projected path of Irma right. uh, shifted uh, in, a couple of, in a couple of ways. Uh, one, it, it uh, basically bore sided my house. <laughs> um, and uh, afterward, it was it was headed for Memphis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just shifted my plan further east and ended up in Richmond, Virginia for a few days. Yeah, uh, And that gave me, uh, um, you know, a lot of flexibility to, to run if I wanted to run from there or, or whatever. But uh, um, the big thing was power went out and I had, I did not have power at the house or commercial power at the house for more than 10 days. Mm-hmm. Right. And, yeah, you uh, were right. Cause you got back yeah. a couple, you got home a couple days after the hurricane had passed through, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, um, so I spent several days in Richmond just, you know, waiting, uh, with nothing, a whole lot to do, just waiting, you know, hopefully, you know, maybe the power will come on and I can go home and, and then all this will be a distant memory. It didn't work out that way. Um, I, I did have a generator and I used it. Um, it kind of developed a couple of interesting uh, mechanical problems, and uh, uh, I had to just shut it down. And uh, uh, ended up just getting another hotel room uh, here locally. Uh-huh. And when I came when I came back the next morning, uh, power was on. Yeah, but that took ten days after the hurricane. Yeah, that's crazy. You, I mean, yeah, right. It, yeah, it so. is crazy. Um, it is crazy. You know, you know, a lot of other people are, are you know, a lot worse off. And, right. You know, I didn't, I didn't really lose any, anything of any huge value or, uh, the house and, and the hangar and, and all the airplanes are, are in good shape. Mm-hmm. And, 
and all of that. Um, so, you know, that part of it, you know, I still have all my limbs and uh, 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 I still have a job and, you know, things like that. Um, so it could have been a lot worse for me. And my problems are first world problems. There's yeah. a lot of people that don't even have uh, that. So It was interesting to uh, watch the track of the hurricane in lots of different ways. One of the ones is, you, you, as you mentioned, um, the uh, the eye of the hurricane was headed right towards Hidden River early, early yeah. before just before it made landfall. And then, it, yeah. interestingly, it strayed further inland. Um, and, uh, yeah, it trended, it trended further east and... Uh, uh, there was still a lot of wind, and more importantly, a lot of rain that, that tends to get backed up um, because the, the land's just very flat. One of the, drain very well. one of the one of the uh, things that caught my attention was that the uh, so and and this this is uh, I hope this is not too much inside baseball, but I know one of the mm. early plans for the champ was that the champ was going to live in Arcadia, um, uh-huh. and uh, and it and it hasn't done that yet. Um, and Arcadia was just about exactly hit by the eye. The eye of, the, right. of, of Irma went almost centered right over Arcadia. I don't know if you've heard sure. from, from Arcadia whether or not that hangar is, is okay. I, I, you know. I, I have not heard of anything about that, and that's certainly something to check out. Yeah. Um, but uh, you're exactly right. And um, there's some talk about... Um, uh, you know, Lakeland got hit kind of hard. It's, it's kind of ironic that Lakeland got hit hard or, or got hit at all, for that matter, in that the uh, National Weather Service, NOAA's uh, Hurricane Hunter aircraft, just recently started basing yeah. at Lakeland. Yep. And I think this might have been their first hurricane season based there, if not only, only their second one. Yeah, I I think you're correct, and uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting too. That uh, that that was the home of uh, of uh, hurricane hunters, and I wonder yeah. whether they were actually did they have to reposition? Um, they probably I would imagine they did. I don't know, but oh, uh, what they just take off? Yeah, right. <laughs> just fly, right? <laughs> so uh, yeah, Lakeland. Um, the reports we're hearing from Sun and Fun is that there was some damage, uh, some structures that were damaged, but nothing tremendous. Um, and they, they're, you know, the reports for hearing from the Sun and Fun folks is is very upbeat that things are going to be fine. And uh, um, likewise, the Deland Fly-in um, f- uh, facility, which is further north and further east, um, also seems to have done well. Um, in fact, there were hardly any damage reports I saw from up there at all. Um, they were pa- apparently back operating a couple of days after the hurricane went through. Yeah. The reports we're hearing from Sebring, which is another place that we all visit from time to time, which is the home of the uh, the light sport flying, um, sound a little bit more dire to me. Um, the press release that they sent out just was very upbeat and very positive, and uh, and uh, they had a, a good attitude about the whole thing. But if you then read the descriptions that they gave us of the damage, it sounds like there was some pretty good damage to structures at uh, Sebring Airport. Um, yeah. roofs ripped off of hangars and, and things like that. And, uh, so, um, wish them well, um, and, and hope that, uh, you know, the press releases say, you know, won't affect the fly-in in January. And so good, you know, yeah. and, uh, I'm not aware of any damage in the local area to airplanes. There may have been some, I'm not saying that's all, you know, mm-hmm. it's all blanket statement. Um, or, or to, uh, to, uh, airport facilities per se. Um, this airport, uh, while we didn't have power, uh, I presume the, uh, the runway lights didn't work. But other than that, mm-hmm. 
uh, by the time I got back, if there was trash on the runway, it had been cleared. Uh, I, it was, there was never a, a neighborhood-wide notice that the runway was closed or or anything like that. There was no notice issued or anything like that. So yeah. we got off we got off very easy. Yeah. God, th- thank goodness. Uh, knock on wood. Yeah. Um, our, our good friend Amy Laboda, who lives in Fort Myers, Florida, and Fort Myers did take almost a direct hit of the uh, yeah. eye of the hurricane. Um, and uh, and Amy and her husband Barry were actually out of town. Um, had been out of town for some time. Apparently, they take an extended vacation after Oshkosh, and so they literally have not been home since then. Um, but uh, um, I've, I've spoken to her a couple of times since then, and all is well. Um, yeah. You know, a- Amy. Amy's a smart cookie, and and so it's not surprising. And and a Florida native, all right, who knows this stuff, and so it's not surprising that um, I, I was worried that you know they left home not expecting a hurricane, and therefore I was worried about that. Too. weren't able to make pre- preparations. Turns out that they make hurricane preparations every single time they go away for an extended trip, and so yeah. they, you know, when they left home in July to go to Oshkosh, they put up the shutters and batten down the hatches and whatever it is they do. Um, also, their home is very Florida, um, and it's a very beautiful home. I mean, it's a very, very beautiful home, but if you just kind of scratch slightly below the surface, it's basically a concrete bunker. And uh, <laughs> and as a result, it apparently came through just fine, as well as the hangar, which is some more traditional construction, but it, it apparently came through okay as well. So Amy did well. Um, Amy and Barry are, are good. Our buddy Dave Schaubetter of Sun and Fun Radio um, chose to ride the thing out in uh, – uh, in the uh, down on the east coast of Florida, down down below Miami, just at the foot of the uh, Keys, um, they buttoned up their Keys properties and then went back to their mainland home, which is just barely on the mainland, and uh, and rode it out there. Also, Florida natives, they know what they're doing, and uh, every from everything I've heard, all is well with Dave Shellbetter. Um, friends all over Florida, we're hearing from um, all encouraging reports, um, which is not to say that a lot of people weren't hurt badly, but our I'm, I'm I'm pleased to say that our friends are well, and that's good. Um, you know, there's a, there's a long list. Um, um, Tim Tim Etridge of of Quest uh, of uh, of Sheets Airport. Um, they they got a fr- hit a little bit harder than than they expected because the hurricane went inland a little bit. But uh, apparently, all is well there. Um, Jamie Beckett of uh, of Winterhaven got hit a little bit harder than anybody expected, um, right. and. Uh, his neighborhood got flooded. His house apparently did not get flooded, but his neighborhood streets did, and the power was out for a while. But they're they're back on their feet, and everything's going well. So, I'm not sure who else to report on. Florida yeah. took it bad. I mean, and uh, you know, it's and and the crazy part is that that was Hurricane Two. Of right, what? it's been like four major hurricanes already this year. Right, yeah, you know, four well, major the, hurricanes. The latest, the latest one is. Uh, done unbelievable damage to puerto rico that was maria hurricane maria yeah uh the entire island is now six days into zero electrical power yeah unless you got a generator or solar panel their entire electrical grid and generating uh capabilities were wiped out by maria because they took a direct hit they got no electricity they short on food and water uh and we haven't exactly seen the most expedient reaction to that here from uh, 
the, the, the government and and I hear people talk about well you know they they should learn to take care of themselves <laughs> and, and, and these these nimnals don't seem to understand that Puerto Rico is American territory those are Americans American citizens yep. Yep. they they deserve the same amount of attention and uh, support as we gave Texas as we gave Florida as we gave uh, New Orleans when Katrina uh, inundated that place. Uh, well, hopefully we'll give them better than we gave New Orleans. But, yeah, I take your point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, I, think, I think you're going to see a lot of migration out of Puerto Rico. Maybe. Uh, yeah. There's, 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 no reason, there's, no, there's no reason to be there right now. There are no jobs. Um, I, it's it's, it's yeah. verging on a crisis, and no one's doing a whole lot about it. Yeah. So um, let me let me see if I can if I can uh, pivot this back to general aviation a little bit um, yeah. a, a more directly, and that is to say that it, I, I, it makes me proud the number of stories that I have seen of general aviation, um, both commercial general aviation and personal general aviation, stepping in to help with the relief effort. Um, it, it's yeah. it's just it, it's heartwarming i mean it's beyond heartwarming of uh, pilots who are packing their airplanes full of relief supplies um whatever it is they believe is needed and flying into the area there are a lot of um organized efforts going on right now uh, impromptu and long-standing nonprofit operations that are coordinating relief flights where someone fills their 152 or or their uh or their debonair or their comanche with uh uh, correction, did I say 152, 172, um, with uh, relief supplies and flies at some place where it's needed. Yeah. And uh, um, I, we used to see this back, well, we still do, but when I lived in California, I used to see this when, hurt, when uh, earthquakes would happen from time to time. Um, right. And the same thing. If anybody questions whether or not general aviation has uh, a, a, a value beyond transportation and, and recreation, um, this is this is one of them. This is a big one, um, because there's there's supplies getting places that desperately need supplies because somebody's flying them in on their 172. Good for them. Congratulations. You know. I, I don't remember if it was um, in uh, Houston or somewhere in Florida. Um, it might not even have even been in the U.S. It might have been certainly somewhere else, maybe in the U.S. But the FAA. Uh, apparently has some kind of a portable emergency control tower thing mm -hmm. that can slide into the back of a, a C-17 or C-130 or something. Yep. And uh, they deployed it. Uh, it's, um, I think, oh, I don't, it was the first time, first hurricane that hit like San Juan or Puerto Rico earlier this year. Right. Uh, they deployed it out there, and it's, it's uh, once it's off the off the airplane, it takes like three or four hours to set up. It's got its own generation. Generator capability, air conditioning, uh, all the radios it needs, uh, all this kind of stuff, and kind of a, a prefab uh, control tower deal. Um, and, and that's just very cool. But another thing about all this, and I'll shut up about hurricanes, uh, I was listening to uh, radio this morning, and uh, Mike Huerta, uh, FAA administrator, was, was um, being quoted in a news program. Uh, so, you know, as well as all the the, uh, the the businesses and the power generation and, and all of these other facilities in Puerto Rico, they lost all their nav aids. Um, so they've mm -hmm. got to come back. And, and you know, I don't know about the control tower situation. I don't know about the radar situation. I don't look at NOTAMs or anything like that either. 
but uh, even uh, if you wanted to fly in a bunch of 747s, um, they may not have the ability to do that. Yeah. And sometimes it's like you can... Yeah. So Some, sometimes light GA is the only way to do it. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Speaking of infrastructure going down as a result of the hurricanes, um, another story I heard was uh, one of the primary main um, weather radar facilities for watching the southern Atlantic is or was in Puerto Rico. And apparently, oh, yeah, it got, yeah, well, there's a there's a um, uh, a deep space telescope. Uh, I'm going to miss. I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. Arecibo. I, I, I'm uh, familiar with the name. Yes. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's part of the SETI uh, uh, network, I believe. Right. Um, is there in Puerto Rico? And it got hit. It, I don't know how hard. It, I know it was. Right. It, it was hit, and, and they were offline for a while. Yeah. Yeah, that's the dish where Jodie Foster managed yeah, to make yeah, contact yeah, with yeah. the aliens. Um, in that. No, no, she was out in the, the uh, New Mexico or, or well, Arizona. I think they did that as well. But wasn't because the Arecibo, which I'm she, also she, right, the, is the one the big dish that's kind of dug into the ground, yeah, right? Right. Yeah. But she didn't. She didn't find any any uh, little green men at that. That was a scene in the movie. Oh, okay. okay. When, when she heard the the signal, that was the New Mexico, Arizona. So. Right. But it's ironic that the uh, big storm, uh, the, mo- the re- most recent storm, Maria, wiped out one of the key elements that we use to watch for and predict future storms. So it just only gets it, more it's exciting. A, it's a form of artificial intelligence. They're getting smarter. <laughs> yeah, okay. The storms are getting smarter. All right, we really, really need to start talking about airplanes here, but uh, um, our, 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 our thoughts are with everybody who's still trying to recover from all these storms um, yeah. all the way back to Harvey and, uh, and currently in Puerto Rico and, and everywhere. And um, Be well. Be well. Yeah. Um, is there a list? There is a list. Basic med. Um. So basic med uh, is the uh, sort of new um, uh, uh, form of, of medical qualification that you can take advantage of in order to be able to fly a, a lot of different kinds of airplanes. It uh, became official, what, about six months ago? Uh, maybe less, something like that. <laughs> but there's still apparently confusion about exactly what basic med grants you. Uh, David, you put this story in the list. What? what uh, can you tell us a little bit about what the problem is here? Or? I'm not sure what the problem is or why this is still so confusing for folks after so much time, but there's still enough people asking enough questions that the uh, Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association uh, put up a little checklist that uh, says, do you qualify for basic med? So we'll run through this really quickly because it's only four questions, four questions, and it is pass-fail. Have you held a valid medical certificate, first, second, or third, regular or special issuance, at any time within the 10 years prior to July 15, 2016? That's the day the bill that forced FAA to create basic med was signed into law. Uh, And the answers are yes, or I've never held a third-class medical certificate, or it has been more than 10 years, or uh, I don't know. So if it's yes, we'll move that along and say yes. (laughs) To qualify, you need to have held a valid FAA medical certificate, regular or special issuance, within the 10 years from the date the legislation became law, which was July 15, 2016. If you answered any of the other three, 
you don't get to use basic med. Second question, was your last medical revoked, suspended, withdrawn, or denied? We hope you can answer no to that because if you held a valid third-class medical in the past 10 years that was not revoked, suspended, withdrawn, or denied, you are well on your way to qualifying basic med. Question three, have you developed certain cardiac, neurological, or mental health conditions since your last valid third-class medical? Nothing that they didn't know about before in my case, particularly the mental health part. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, define develop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Come on. I'm sorry, David. And they, Continue. And there, there's, there's a link here to the conditions requiring additional attention, uh, and we'll let you click on that yourself. But the answer that you want for this is no, because if you've developed any of those conditions that are on the list that requires a special issuance medical certificate, you will have to apply for, and listen closely, have to apply for a one-time special issuance for that condition. Once you get the special issuance for that condition, you're good to go with basic med thereafter. Question four and this one, I know most of you will have the correct answer to. Do you have a valid driver's license? To qualify for basic med, pilots must possess a valid state-issued driver's license. If you click no, sorry, you're going to go the regular third-class route. Now, what does this qualify you to fly? There you go. And that's the part I want to hear about. Go ahead. What it qualifies you to fly is basically anything under six, anything up to 6,000 pounds or six seats. 6,000 pounds gross takeoff weight or six seats. Uh, you, you can fly VFR, IFR, day or night, only up to flight level 180, 18,000 feet. If you're going to fly above that, uh, you got other issues. But you need a regular medical certificate for that. So you can fly a twin. You can fly a single. It doesn't restrict you to piston aircraft like earlier proposals. It can be a turbine aircraft if it weighs less than 6,000 pounds, seats no more than six people, and doesn't go above 18,000 feet, which is not exactly optimal for turbine-powered aircraft, but there you go. Something like a caravan, yep, you're good to go. So day, night, VFR, IFR, single-engine, multi-engine, up to 18,000 feet. That covers, God, it's probably 90% of us who fly general aviation aircraft 95% of the time. So you basically get to do everything that you could do on a third-class medical, except go through the entirety of the third-class medical process. And for folks that had issues before that required extra paperwork, if it's not on the list of those neurological or cardiology uh, issues, it doesn't matter. It doesn't come up. Now, to use basic med, that's a little more complicated than going through the four questions on this checklist. There is a basic med course that the FAA created that you have to take and pass 
and then show that to the doctor when you're going to get your basic med medical exam. And what that course is for is to teach you about the responsibilities and limitations that the FAA wants you to know about for being able to go without a third-class medical and being able to use basic med. And that includes enlightenment on some of the medications that you can take, uh, some of the medications that you can't take. And most of those medications you can't take and fly with those even on a third-class medical. So you take that course, you pass the course, you download the FAA's basic med form from the website, and this AOPA link has a link to that and, and all of this for you. Uh, but you take the basic, basic med course, you take the quiz, you get the printout that shows that you passed it, you download the basic med form, you trundle off to your family physician if they're agreeable to do this, and most so far have been. You sit down and you go over everything. The doctor listens to your heart. He listens to your lungs or she listens to your lungs, your blood pressure. If there's no medical issues, they go stamp. You're good to go. You're off to the races. This avoids having to come up with a lot of paperwork for conditions that require special attention but don't require special issuance. Um, And if you've had the special issuance on some things – you're you're good to go. Yeah, that's one of the best overviews. It's like a, an audio flowchart uh, of how to do this, and, and uh, uh, good job there. Yeah, I, I agree. It's uh, for for basic pilot and command issues. Uh, it's it's relatively straightforward, um, and uh, yeah, David did a good job summarizing it. I the part of it I think is kind of interesting here. Now to make to 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 deny what David just said, right? Not really. Yeah. Uh, I remember back in the early days of me being a pilot. One of the subjects that we spent the most time hangar flying about, um, either either in actual hangars or or online, um, in various forums back in the day. Was the idiosyncrasies and oddities of the rules regu- uh, surrounding the subject of pilot in command, um, and and there were all kinds of ins and outs about you know logging pilot command versus operating as pilot in command versus this versus multiple pilots in command on one flight versus I mean it was just like it was a never ending uh, 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 you know uh, uh, a feast of uh, of uh, you know, hangar flying subjects. And we've never really gotten into it here. And I'm kind of just as well with that, but there is someone who has asked whether or not a basic med pilot can function as safety pilot for a instrument training friend. Does that make sense? Well, friend or or colleague or or colleague or or whatever. The point is that the point is that for people not in the know and and correct me if I'm not summarizing this correctly, um, there are various kinds of instrument, practice flying that one does where you are not in imc you're in vfr conditions vmc conditions all right but but the but the trainee puts himself under the hood and as a result you need someone on board who can who knows how to fly an airplane and can keep their eyes outside the airplane all right um so-called safety pilot all right and that safety pilot usually has to be someone who is qualified to fly that airplane but can an instrument pilot doing training count on a basic med pilot to be their safety pilot if they're otherwise qualified to fly the aircraft yes no yes okay go ahead jeb yeah the the basic med rule states 
to serve as pilot in command of an aircraft. You only need a basic med if it meets if the aircraft meets all the other requirements. There is no ability to use basic med to serve as second in command, which is basically what you're doing when you serve as a safety pilot. And, and Jack, we're really talking about operations under VFR as opposed to in VMC, although VFR does require VMC. Yeah. Uh, Thank the, you. I stand corrected. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the basic difference is someone has to be looking outside the airplane even operating in, in under VFR. And um, that is required to be a, a safety pilot meets that bill. He or she has to uh, be capable, be certified, I should say, to, to operate the aircraft as pilot in command, which includes, for the sake of, of uh, example, uh, a single versus multi-engine uh, certification. Uh, if it's a tail dragger, you need a tail dragger endorsement. If it's a complex, high-performance airplane, you need appropriate endorsements for that also. Um, but the way the statute, this is not an FAA thing, the way the statute was written in Congress back in the day uh, it addresses piloting command. And the catch-22 is you cannot use basic med to serve as a uh, safety pilot or second-in-command when someone's out uh, uh, simulating IFR flight. So it's bas- is it reasonable to say that this is a flaw in the law and maybe they'll fix it? Or it could be fixed? or, or, or- it, it could be fixed, but it would require a lot of political capital to, do, to fix it. Um... I don't think it's, you know, maybe there's some some provision somewhere that's floating through somewhere. I don't know. I haven't really researched it. Um, but we're stuck with this for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. But per the FARS, if you're qualified to act as PIC, aren't you by default qualified to act as second in command? You have to have a medical certificate. Um, heretofore, you've had to have a medical certificate uh, and otherwise be current and, and uh, uh, capable of serving as pilot in command of that operation. Um, I, I'd have to look at this nuance one more time. Let me see if I can find it. Um, yeah, AOPA has the, the uh, uh, kind of, um, I won't say definitive, but... Uh, uh, they have a discussion of this. Um, basic med, I'm reading from the AOPA site, basic med only applies to a pilot acting as pilot in command and does not apply to required pilot flight crew members like the safety pilot in the example above. Really? When, act, when acting as a required pilot flight crew member under FAR 661.3, um, that FAR requires the safety pilot to have a valid and appropriate medical certificate. But isn't basic med a valid medical certificate? You could argue that, but that's not what the statute says. I'll be damned. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds to yeah. me like it's a sort of the opposite of a loophole here. Or I mean, it's 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 a, it's a catch twenty two. It's a flaw in the in the yeah, language it, of the it, law. It's, it's a it's a uh, it's a mistake. Well. Um, yeah, we, we we can say it's a mistake, but it was it was written this way for a reason. Uh, whether safety pilot uh, considerations were even considered, uh, uh, let me put it another way: whether safety pilots were considered is uh, not known. 
um, someone somewhere along the way signed off on this. Uh, and you would think that in the context of um, those those people in the industry and in, who, who were working this with on Capitol Hill, they considered the ramifications, but we don't have any evidence of that. Yeah, yeah. And, and we'll wrap this up thing up, but I, I, the very next paragraph in this, so we're looking at this article on AOPA, AOPA.org, and we'll put a link in the in the show notes here. But uh, the, the next paragraph, which I'm going to try and read, because it, it really, really sums up the kind of weird logic that is applied in these things, and we always used to get tangled up in my comments, conversations that I was talking about way back when. The simple solution, it says, the simple solution for a basic med pilot who wants to act as a safety pilot under, FA, under FAR 91.109 without a medical certificate is to meet all currency and qualification requirements to act as PIC and to act as PIC during the portions of the flight in simulated instrument conditions. Even though the pilot under the hood cannot simultaneously act as PIC, the simulated instrument flight still satisfies that pilot's recent flight experience requirements for a PIC under FAR 6157. Since the regulation does not require the pilot to be acting as PIC while he or she performed the required tasks during simulated instrument flight. So basically, you've got the exact same situation. You just have to, you have to kind of say out loud to the gods of aviation, uh, the basic med pilot is the pilot in command. The ba- just chant this or something i don't know um and then let the let the 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 ifr uh uh, trainee if you will um you know see isn't this great i love this it's like i gotta let me parse this put us on pause or something let me me parse this okay if you go into the flight saying the ifr trainee and i'm and, and by that i mean you know could be a currency oh i see what they're saying you don't say that the ifr person under the hood is the pic you say the basic med person is the pic all right and that the ifr person is kind of along for the ride yeah see it's I, i i i get this 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 makes perfect sense actually Remember that the time that we log as piloting commanders, there's you know, and we can get into this discussion as you as you said, Jack. You know, but maybe we don't want to. Um, there's various kinds of piloting command time. Exactly. One, one of them happens to involve uh, sole manipulation of the controls or sole manipulator of the controls. Right. And the pilot who's simulating instrument flight meets that definition. So well, what he or it, she can lock that time. Yeah. I, I get it. I totally do yeah. get that. But as I understand it, so under under a more traditional safety pilot situation where you have two pilots, both of whom have, say, a third-class medical, all right, um, you've got one under the hood and one presumably in the right seat or whatever, um, observing and, and being safety, um, they could both log that flight in their logbook as PIC, all right? But... What this loophole is saying is that don't do it that way. Only the basic med pilot logs it as PIC. The the right. the the IFR pilot who is under the hood logs it as training time, but not as PIC. All right, and that that great. I, I used to love these conversations. We may have to get we may have we'll have to create a segment in the podcast where we talk about you know PIC trivia. Well, well, I. <sighs> There are occasions now. There are occasions where two pilots can log pilot and command time. Well, yeah, CFI and, and trainee, right? CFI and student pilot rated in the airplane. Yeah. Um, 
you see where I'm going with this. I do. I, I think it's great. I, this is, yeah, I love this stuff. It's, it's like so arcane and bizarre, right? And, uh, um, and yeah, anyways. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, Brad Jack's description, a basic med pilot under that method, could act as safety pilot for an instrument pilot flying under the hood for training purposes. Yes, but you uh-huh. need to begin the flight by chanting the proper incantation, all right, in order to Right, to right. Salami, salami, yeah. bologna. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> right. Now that we've gotten that out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> Neville, you have control of the board. Select a category. Disclaimers for 100. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are appearing as this. Neville, what is private individuals? Correct. Select again. Disclaimers for 200. Their comments do not necessarily reflect these. Neville, what is the opinions of the organizations they work for? Yes. Select again. Disclaimers for 300. Anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously this. Neville, what is very general? That's it. Disclaimers for 400. You should always remember your training, consider your situation, and fly this. Neville, what is the aircraft? Yes, select. Disclaimers for 500. But you knew this. Robert, what's a lineys? No, Wendy. What is the punchline? No, Neville. What is that? Correct, but you knew that. Congratulations, Neville. You have swept the category. We're reaching the end of our allotted time here. Is there anything on this list you don't want to skip? Or we're going to jump straight down to uh, shout-outs. Uh, uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Um, just just uh, your... your episodic reminder that uh, ATC privatization is still a thing, as is the uh, FAA reauthorization. Uh, so if you've not picked up the phone and, and called your local uh, elected federal Congress critter uh, to um, beat them about the head and body, now's a good time. Yeah, it's not done yet. It's still a it's thing. It's not done still yet. It's not a f- and we're only three and a half days away from the FAA being shut down if Congress doesn't pass yeah, there's, funding. There was something I saw this morning where um, it, the, 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 a, a 45-day extension or something like that uh, failed to make, uh, <clears throat> failed to get enough votes in the House to uh, suspend the rules and pass it, so... They're going to have to go back and, and rejigger the thing. I, I'm not sure of what the politics are on that. I have, really haven't been paying attention. But regardless, yeah, we'll, pick up. Yeah, go ahead. Pick up the phone and call your uh, your, your yeah. senator or congressperson and uh, yeah. and uh, tell them that you do not support privatization. That, that it's a bad idea. Yeah, a six month extension went down in flames uh, because uh, leadership in the House. Uh, Wanted to add a whole lot of non sequitur, extraneous stuff to it that the opposition thought was inappropriate to put in that bill, and is insisting on a an extension that is just that an extension and doesn't Christmas tree up with other other issues. Mm-hmm. It, Jeb's absolutely right about the uh, uh, ATC privatization push. Uh, Airlines for themselves, I'm sorry, Airlines for America has uh, <laughs> has uh, been pushing really hard. They've been running ads in uh, certain markets. Uh, they've been spreading the gospel of blowing snow. 
they've in, they've they've spawned a, a rather amazing a, a amount of increased pushback from controller union people individually, from military people, uh, businesses that uh, uh, depend on uh, flying their airplanes. Um, and the case over in the Senate is it's going nowhere over there. Uh, there's not enough votes over there to get it out of committee that's uh, being in the bill. So keep those cards and letters, particularly the the, the calls, yeah, going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. Okay. Shout outs. Uh, I'm going to go first. And uh, while you guys organize your thoughts here, um, I want to, and this is not exactly a shout out, but I'm going to call it a shout out. Um, And that is to shout out to everyone who supports this podcast uh, through uh, Patreon. We are very, very grateful for the support that we receive from our listeners through the online uh, site, patreon.com. Through Patreon, uh, you can set up an automatically repeating uh, per episode donation to the podcast for as little as $1 per episode. You can put limits on it so that you're uh, donation never exceeds whatever you're comfortable with, and you can turn it off at any time. Um, and we really, really appreciate all the folks who support us through Patreon. Uh, if you are a, a Patreon supporter at the $3 or more per episode level, you also get access to the exclusive UCAP After Show, uh, which is a, a, a 10 or 15 minute thing that we record uh, after we finish the regular podcast, uh, which uh, it, it varies. Sometimes it's interesting aviation conversation, and sometimes it's us just babbling about whatever but uh, it's uh, sort of a little bit more um, for those of you who want a little bit more um, in the after show for the last episode uh, UCAP 440 uh, we talked about um, our expectations uh, in more detail our expectations and plans for the uh, Florida hurricane that uh, that was uh, coming at that time uh, we also talked in that after show about the uh, final flight of the uh, Red Baron back in during World War One, um, and, and especially talked about a, a video re- recreation of that event that we had seen and and we were talking about that so we we talk about a a variety of things during that after show and if you're interested go into patreon and support us at a three dollar per episode level or more Um, thank you to everyone who supports us on patreon Um, we we, it really helps and uh, it's made it possible for us to uh, to kind of step up the pace a little bit on these podcasts um, and to uh, for example to be present at at oshkosh this year Um, the patreon support was a big big factor in us being present at Oshkosh this summer. So thank you for that. We appreciate it. Um, and uh, you can go take a look to uh, on our homepage uh, under the, uh, there's a tab called support, um, and also in the sidebar uh, information on how to uh, get to the Patreon um, uh, site. That's my shout out. That's my first shout out. How about you guys? What do you got? David? Dave, go ahead. Jeb? Dave, go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh well, I'm not sure who to shout this out to, uh, but somebody sent me a, a, a link in the past few days that revisits the uh, program CBS Sunday Morning when they did a segment on the B-29 bomber dock that made it to Oshkosh this year, and it, it always uh, – it always moves me because I see so many old friends in the video when I watch this. Uh, the reporter does a nice job. My, my old buddy, Charles Chauncey, uh, former B-29 pilot, uh, 
he uh, he's there in several scenes, and Chauncey's in his nineties now, and uh, still coming out for this stuff. So, if you're interested in about seven or eight minutes of interesting television about the restoration of the uh, B twenty nine bomber dock, follow that link. Uh, and hats off to CBS for the job they did. They did an above average job for an aviation story, in my view. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know when that story was actually uh, produced. Um, I, Doc is, uh, has found a home now, right? I know there was some question about where Doc was going to settle down more permanently. Um, am I right about this, David? Uh, they just broke ground earlier this week on the new hangar that will be Doc's home. Cool. And, uh, it, it's going to be a combination uh, display hangar, maintenance hangar, and museum. It talks about the uh, World War II production, the development of the bomber, uh, docks history, and all that. And that's going to be on the grounds of what we used to call Wichita Mid-Continent Airport, now Eisenhower uh, Airport, still India Charlie Tango. And uh, one side's going to have these big windows so that you can see the bomber from the street. And... Uh, they're moving it over there because, A, the location where they did all the restoration work requires them to work with the Air Force to access the McConnell Air Force Base runway. B, there's no ab gas sold at McConnell Air Force Base. Really? So every time they need to move, they need to fly, they've got to take Doc to uh, – Mid uh, to Eisenhower so that uh, Doc can have its tanks topped off. And then they go out and fly the mission and uh, land with enough fuel to get back over to uh, Eisenhower to top off again. Yeah, I got to visit with Doc a few weeks ago on a story assignment and met the airplane at uh, at Eisenhower because cool. it was doing a training flight to qualify some new crew members in different stations. And it needed fuel, and it came to Eisenhower, and they put about 1,500 gallons in it, which is nowhere near full. So uh, I'd like to have seen the fuel bill for that. I'm wondering what Yingling gave them for a fuel discount. Yeah, right. Now, you just said uh, something very interesting. I I never – so are you saying that there are no aircraft in the Air Force inventory now that fly on – Avgas, hundred low layer. Not not saying well, that there are no airplanes in the Air Force inventories that that fly on Avgas. That would not be true, but there are no airplanes at McConnell Air Force Base. Okay, that need Avgas, and because of that, no Avgas. Right. Yeah, it is not true to say that Avgas is is uh, uh, not required by the military, but it would be true to say there are no combat aircraft. Right. Uh, okay. That use that use uh, gas. Um, I'm trying to. Other than um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to think of which. Yeah. Me too. What, what? Don't use gas, and it, it's got to be uh, contract training uh, um, initial. Um, uh, I guess, but aren't those all tur- turbojets too? Turboprops? No. No. I mean, there's there there were some. Oh, well, uh, and then there's CAP with all the 172. Well, CAP, but there's also um, some. Um, trying they have flight training and flight yeah. screening aircraft yeah, out at screening. the. Uh, That's the work. That's uh, the work. Okay. Yeah. Out at yeah. the Air Force Academy in Colorado oh, Springs. Right. Uh, 
they have had other trainers and motor gliders out there that also require to have gas. Uh, and some Air Force bases have flying clubs where they have airplanes on it. I believe that the local base uses a flying club that's uh, off the premises of McConnell. Yeah. So. Okay. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. 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 Well, good for Doc and finding a home and uh, and uh, and getting covered on the uh, CBS thing. That's very very cool. Very very cool. Yeah. The the uh, new hangar and the move should all happen uh, late next year. Jeb, shut up. Um, real kind of quick, and not to not to uh, pound on the hurricane theme again, but uh, uh, to all the air traffic controllers in Florida, mm-hmm. uh, who, who most of whom I'm sure uh, either chose or or were forced to to, to stick out, to hang out, and, and, and uh, uh, be either at home on call or or at the scopes when the hurricane came through. Uh, I know um, uh, flying out of here the night before the hurricane hit, um, there was a lot of discussion about, you know, well, you guys staying or going or what's the plan kind of thing. And, and there, you know, other, other flights were, were uh, you know, making two and three trips mm-hmm. for whatever reasons, whatever their, whatever their missions were, uh, making two and three flights uh, in and out of the state, you know, kind of in a hurry. Uh, I know one, uh, one flight, uh, apparently, um, landed with a flat tire at Orlando. Um, they were they were just frantic because they had to get turned around quick. And and uh, in fact, with a lot of people's help and, and whatnot, they did. Um, and I'm sure there were a lot of other stories like that too. But uh, uniformly, the controllers were really good mm-hmm. about the whole thing. Yeah. And you know, here we are bugging out, um, um, flying our own little personal airplane the heck out of the way. And they get to stick around and give us services as we do it. And that's that's kind of an interesting uh, dynamic. Yeah. And uh, my hat's off to those guys. Again. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, one last shout out from me, um, and this is so uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. The what is today? The twenty twenty seventh. Twenty seventh. This will I can say with some confidence now that this episode will probably appear in the feed on uh, either later today, but probably more likely tomorrow on Thursday. Woohoo! So not this weekend, but next weekend, which would be the week, the dates of, uh, oh, I had it here a second ago, where'd it go? Uh, the Saturday the 7th, or actually more importantly, Friday the 6th and Saturday the 2nd will be the uh, dates of AOPA's uh, regional fly-in in Groton, Connecticut. Um, and this is the first one that's near where I live that I'm actually going to be in town for. Um, they did one at Plymouth, Mass. a long time ago, and I was out of town on business that, that weekend and wasn't able to attend. I'm very much looking forward to attending uh, the Groton uh, AOPA fly-in uh, next weekend. And uh, and I'm uh, basically a shout-out hi to my friends at AOPA, but also uh, to UCAP listeners who uh, might be planning on attending there. Um, I'm, I'm trying to put together some kind of, you know, a uh, spur of the moment UCAP meetup there. I haven't quite figured out how that might work. Um, but uh, if you were to follow me and or UCAP on Twitter, um, I'm, I'm, I'm Twitter Jack Hodgson and UCAP is Twitter uh, class G airspace. Um, I'll, I'll post information there. Um, definitely look for me if you're there. Um, I'll be wandering around, uh, particularly on Saturday. Not Probably not going to make it down on Friday, but on Saturday I'll be there for the Groton uh, AOPA fly-in. Um, and I'm thinking that, um, so I was looking at the schedule today, 
And the big finish of Saturday afternoon is an ice cream social that they're holding. And I'm thinking that the ice cream social might be a good uh, kind of uh, anchor point for me to try and meet up with UCAP listeners. So um, uh, tentatively speaking, that will be a UCAP meetup at the Groton Fly-In. But, but definitely watch my Twitter and, uh, and UCAP's Twitter and I guess the UCAP homepage for more details. Um, and uh, regardless of whether you want to meet up, uh, go check out the AOPA Fly-In at Groton. Um, these things are are hugely successful and very very fun it sounds like i've never managed to make it to one but uh, i'm i'm really looking forward to being able to go to this one the uh, 6th and 7th of october in groton connecticut that's right uh, across the river from new london connecticut jeb you got one come up in tampa any chance you're i was just i was just gonna say yeah um that's coming up in tampa um two weeks later well three weeks later actually 27th and 28th of of, of october uh, at the Peter O'Knight Airport, um, uh, the uh, identifier which is Tango Papa Foxtrot. Um, they also got hit by Hurricane Irma, but not nearly as badly, and, and the show will go on. Um, and uh, there's a uh, note of information out there and, and all that kind of thing already, just as I'm sure there is for Groton. Uh, Groton. Um, so, um, yeah, I plan to be there. I haven't had sufficient bandwidth to come up with a uh, even a hint of a plan on where I might be, uh, for that matter, whether I'll drive or fly, because it is fairly close. But uh, regardless of which, I will be there. I don't know exactly when. Uh, watch this space. Yes, exactly. Uh, we'll for additional detail. Yep. Anyways, I think that's it. Uh, fork time? I think we're done. Yeah. Stick it. <laughs> that was Dave Higdon. Dave's an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. David, what have you been working on? Uh, well, my uh, one of my October stories in uh, Ab Buyer magazine, which will be in mailboxes in a couple of days, uh, takes a look at the uh, development of new turbine aircraft for the uh, business flyer, and that's single-engine jets, multi-engine jets, uh, turboprops. There's quite a bit happening pretty much all the time, so we did a little snapshot of what's in the R&D pipeline right now. Cool, cool. Where can people find out about this and other things you do on the Internet? Avbuyer.com is the... uh, is the uh, location for the, uh, sorry about that, location for the uh, weekly business aviation blog I do for Outbuyer. You can find me at AEA.net and work I do for Avionics News Magazine. Uh, Twitter? Or AEA.net. Yeah, no, uh, where are you on Twitter? Oh, uh, I was getting to that. Uh, Real Higdon on the Twitter machine or do a... uh, Google search and remember that I don't play golf and my physics experience is a lot more limited than the the, the Dave Higdon who's a physicist. So. I think I think we should mess with people's minds and and change that. I think you should get you become you. I'm going to buy you a go- set of golf clubs for Christmas. How's that? <laughs> and I'm going to buy you a book on physics. <laughs> <laughs> physics for dumb golfers. Um, <laughs> And that other voice out there is... And that just might be the episode title. (laughs) Jeb Burnside. Jeb is a freelance aviation writer and editor serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what have you been working on other than uh, picking up broken branches? Not a damn thing. (laughs) I really haven't. (laughs) Uh, uh, um, 
I've, I've been trying to solve my little first world problems and, and uh, yeah. uh, yeah. that kind of thing. So, uh, but I am, uh, I mean, I've got the, the applications open. I am gearing up to, uh, I'm sitting here on my desktop right now, getting ready to uh, uh, start cranking on the November issue of Aviation Safety Magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I don't know exactly what's going to be on the cover uh, quite yet. The one article I'm working on is, um, you know, kind of a... We, Tips that your instructor never told you, kind of thing. Oh, okay. Uh, cool stuff that uh, you know, trying to get you through the check ride, and maybe some other stuff that you just were never told. So mm-hmm. uh, we're going to see how that works out, and uh, that might be a, a recurring theme. It might not. Who knows? But, yeah. uh, so that's that's one thing I'm working on. Um, getting ready to ship out for the NBAA show <clears throat> next weekend. Uh, oh out. yeah. Oh yeah. You too. Um, I'll be out there on behalf of uh, Aviation International News and uh, kind of working behind the scenes, make sure that the train runs on time. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, got a few other things up my sleeve here. You never know where I might turn up. Um, certainly, you might could find some of my stuff on AEA.net uh, along with uh, Dave and uh, at the Aircraft Electronics Association. Uh, you can find some older stuff of mine on AvWeb and on GeneralAviationNews.com. Very cool. Very cool. And I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer, uh, making more progress on uh, volume three of Around the Field, the ebook. Uh, also uh, uh, trying to produce uh, 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 videos about aviation and uh, possibly a new, a new podcast. I don't know whether that's going to happen or not. It's kind of a, of a, of a, of a gleam in my eye, and uh, I'll let you know more about that um, as, as time goes on. But uh, uh, anyways, um, you can uh, learn more about me at, uh, let's see now, on YouTube. I am youtube.com slash Jack Hodgson. Uh, on Amazon, you can find the ebook, uh, the uh, volumes one and two of Around the Field. Uh, just search for Around the Field in books uh, on Amazon. Follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson, and you can sign up for my email newsletter and learn more about me than you ever really wanted to know at jackhodgson.com. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for his help with the show notes and in the forums. Please support UCAP by making a repeating per-episode donation of any size via the online service Patreon. You can get all the details about that at patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace. And while you're at it, go into iTunes, give us a review, thumbs up. It really helps get the word out about the podcast. Please follow the uh, podcast itself on Twitter at twitter.com slash class G airspace. That's all one word, class and the letter G and airspace. You never know what might turn up there. You can also listen to UCAP in the free section of Sporties Pilot Shop's mobile app, Takeoff, along with other podcasts and special Sporties content. Get your UCAP hat, shirts, and other cool gear at the UCAP swag shop. That's at uncontrolledairspace.com slash store. And don't forget, check out the rest of the UCAP website. 11 years worth of UCAP show notes and episode downloads. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you're going to tell us something. The key to old age. The key to old age is aviation. You know that because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFM. <laughs>